Hello, everybody. You are listening to Demise of the Podcast with Patrick Attaway, my podcast where I supposedly discuss writing. And today is Tuesday. Normally, I record these on Saturday, sometimes Sunday. On a recent occasion, I recorded an episode on a Monday. But Saturday, I was busy. As I explained on Twitter, and I'll try not to talk too much about Twitter today, my niece, who was five years old, was at my house, and she spent the night. She wanted a pajama party with my wife. She loves my wife, her her aunt. And we had a good time. And Sunday, I got pissed off. And it really all started when I got a grade on an assignment. Now, in the unlikely event that the professor who gave me the grade is listening to the podcast, hi, um, I don't have anything bad to say about him. I think he's a fantastic guy. Uh, I would actually love to be friends with him, but I don't see that ever happening just because schedules, busy, busy, busy bullshit. But I think he's a wonderful guy. And considering the grade that I got as a grad student, mind you, I sent him an email. And for the first time in a long time, I contested a grade that I received. And he got back to me. He was receptive to my feedback. And this was probably the first time that I ever directly critiqued a professor's approach in a classroom. And he's a great teacher, don't get me wrong, but I won't say what the issue was, but he agreed with me essentially, and he read over the paper again, and he gave me a better grade. But he pointed out that I still didn't get what he was asking for in the assignment, so I didn't make an A, but he complimented my writing style. He said it was very well organized and it was a, a very well crafted paper. It just didn't deliver on what he was expecting out of us. But he gave me a higher grade because, well, I didn't know exactly what he was expecting out of us. And he acknowledged that. So he's a great person. Even if he had given me a, a, an F, I would still consider him a good person. Although he would probably be on my shit list. I had a professor that asked me if I would give him, if he gave me a B if I would ever talk to him again. <laughs> this is a couple of years ago. And um, he gave me an A, of course, because I do put in the work in class. But I, I am a sensitive person, and I have high standards for myself when it comes to work, despite the fact that I'm a lazy little shit. And I have often coasted by, for sure. But in grad school, getting anything less than an A hurts, for sure. But I was pissy Sunday, and people on Twitter weren't helping, and I'm not going to talk about that. I will say that I, I don't like unsolicited advice, and I don't really like people trying to butt in with their opinions when it's not warranted. I also, by the way, don't really like how someone who's never listened to my podcast asked to be on the podcast. Shortly after I started this podcast, someone was like, hey, if you ever need a guest, let me know. It was someone I didn't even fucking know. And he wasn't listening to the podcast. And that continues today. People ask how they can be on the podcast. And they clearly have never listened to it because they know I don't have guests. I can't even get my wife on here. I asked her again this weekend, will you please be on my podcast? People want to hear you and me talk together. And she said, I have nothing to say. So until my wife is on the podcast, no one else is going to be on the podcast. How about that? Even if Brett Easton Ellis, my favorite writer, says, hey, I would love to be on your podcast. Um, I'm sorry, Mr. Ellis, but no, uh, you don't need the exposure through my podcast.
I need the exposure through your podcast, sir. Please and thank you. But I am doing something a little different today in that I am not going to go over a published work. I'm actually going to go over an unpublished work that I'm working on now. Since this is a writing podcast, I thought I would give you a a preview of something that I'm working on and discuss the process in a way that I haven't before. So this is tricky because, for one thing, it's not out there yet, and things might change about it, but honestly, I don't really edit my short stories all that much. My last novel, Surviving New America, is not night and day different from the first draft either. This was deliberate because I'd spent nine years working on my first novel. I didn't want to do that again. And I felt like I'd advanced enough as a writer to pull that off to where I wouldn't have to do draft after draft after draft, you know? And there's a lot to be said for getting in the mindset of a character and the spontaneity of that. So that goes into that too. The short story in question is entitled, She Calls Me Daddy. I came up with that title yesterday after having a just literally the word title at the top. And the code name, the file name for this story was Daddy Short Story. And I got the idea maybe last week, and I tweeted about having a really fucked up idea for a short story. And I wanted to pursue that, but I wanted it to stew in my head for a while. Consequently, the gentleman that is the protagonist in this is named Stuart, and he goes by Stu for short. And I'm not going to lie. One day, there's a possibility that my dad might read this one day. It's not about my dad, but he has inspired this character a little bit. And... To be honest, I haven't really written many characters that were inspired by my actual parents. When my dad read early drafts of Demise of the, po- <laughs> Demise of the Trinity, rather, he asked why I made him such an asshole, essentially, and I said, you're not Charles Price. That guy's not you at all. So this is an instance where I'm playing around with with characters based on people that I know. And there's actually a character in this that is inspired by me too. And not the feminist movement. So the gentleman that's inspired by me is, his name is Cagney. You know, coming up with character names is so interesting because I don't want to just say, you know, John or Bobby You have to come up with names that have some sort of significance and you have to think of the time frame where that person came up, where their their parents came up with that name. And early 90s, I was thinking, well, Cagney has, you know, connotations with the actor, but it also feels like an early 90s kid name, you know, now kids are named McKaylee and shit like that. So I'm not far off the mark. And my mother, yes, there is a character that she's not actually in the short story. She's just referenced in the short story. Her name's Birdie. And for those of you who are unaware, my parents divorced when I was three years old. So this isn't a story about a happy married couple. This is a story about... Uh, a son and father, essentially, but mostly the father reconciling the distance between himself and his son and the serial monogamy in his life. Now, it's not like I went through a checklist for my dad. You know, I know my dad pretty well. This guy is not really my dad, though. I mean, he doesn't have any siblings. My dad had a brother... I say had because they're estranged. He also had a mother who he's also estranged from. And he has a father in this that is drastically different than his real father. But again, these are only mentioned 
here and there. It's a short story. It's not like I give an in-depth chronological history on this man's family. I might do that in my novels a little bit, but he mentions his mama early on in the short story and a traumatic thing that happens. And this is how ideas work. The idea for this came from the idea about this is a great sentence is that the idea from this came from the idea wow patrick and i'm glad i'm not writing that i was daydreaming and for some reason i thought about a younger woman being involved with an older man who had a son who looked just like him and something happens not sexual between the younger woman who was younger than the son and it's not it's not pretty so from that idea i was just letting that kind of germinate i was listening to the podcast cocaine and rhinestones and specifically re-listening to the harper valley pta series that he did and I was thinking about how women in the South, especially during this time period in the early 70s, which is when my father would be a little kid, they're, they're not just going to go to the PTA and raise hell. No. And, and people in the South are pretty fucking audacious about children. For some reason especially with pro-life people, they want to take children away from their parents if they deem them unfit. So this story begins with a murder. The first shot made my ears vibrate kind of the same way a gong does. I looked away from the matchbox cars Mama bought from Winn-Dixie and saw the man from the PTA holding his stomach looking up at her. She shot him again in the shoulder. By then, I was holding the sides of my head, not even able to scream. Then she knelt down for a third shot in the chest. Essentially, if you haven't gathered what is going on in this little paragraph here, it's sort of like Harper Valley PTA, except... One of the people who is on the PTA decides to come and try to take the son away from his mama, and that's not going to happen. So it's interesting where ideas come from and how they click together. I have another idea that is stewing in my head for a fourth novel, but I'm not working on that because, for one thing, I'm convinced that no one's going to read the goddamn thing, Unless I'm able to disconnect it from the series that I've, I've written, I want to use a character, Nero, from Surviving New America and give him his own novel. But that would require marketing it in a way to separate it from the series, but also kind of rewarding the few people who've read the series it's complicated, and I, I don't know that I should really put a year into another novel, put it out, and have four people read it. That's not fun for me. But with the short story, I get a lot more engagement, except the most recent short story that I put out, The Fallen Cane. And I actually worked really hard to promote this, and I talked about this on the previous episode, I, I think, but... I even put it out there full front to back, beginning to end, for free on a Blogspot website as a joke, and nobody read it then either. No one was really interested in the six-page short story for some reason. Not even to support me. So that shows you how much clout I actually have on Twitter. People say that I... I, I don't know what they think about me just because I have over 12,000 followers, but it doesn't amount to much. 
And that's another reason why I'm going over this short story is because I don't know that anyone's going to read it when I put it out there. And I don't know that I am going to put it out there maybe in another short story book, but that's, you know, a year or two away. It's not like I'm going to write a bunch of short stories. I am not a huge fan of that format and I don't read many short stories. Granted, I've read a lot of them, but I don't seek them out unless it's by an author that I really like, like Bukowski or Percival Everett or Flannery O'Connor. Since I was four years old, it's not like I could look at the police report and see Mama told the sheriff she closed her eyes and let out three shots when that man came to the door. I remember him saying he was going to save me from her, but I didn't need saving. The memory is the only one I recall after Mama and Daddy split up. The next time or place I remember is Valley, Alabama. That was 1976, and I didn't get to see Daddy again until 1978, and she made him swear not to tell anyone where we went off to. Now, you'll notice I ended a sentence where we went off to. That's how people around here talk, and that would be how my dad talks. So I I was thinking about his dialect as I was writing this. And it's all throughout this thing. And at, at points, it gets very comedic. And that was that's very intentional. I don't like the idea of just writing a, a psychedelic, a psychedelic, a psychological horror short story. There's a, a story in the upcoming collection, Toxic Literature. It's coming out near the end of May. And it has a woman kidnapping a man. And it's loosely inspired by the collector by uh, John Folks. I had to read the goddamn thing last year and I, I didn't really care for it but it was suggested to me because I had the idea for a short story about a woman kidnapping a man because that trades traditional gender roles and I, I like to do that in my writing quite a bit. And with this short story, I am having yet another crazy woman. And I'm conflicted about that, but at the same time, I'm going to write it anyway because it's it's the idea. And a few years ago, I had a, a young lady I was friends with and in a slightly amorous relationship with. And she read some of my short stories. And she says, you know, not all women are crazy. And... I don't think that, but considering the things that I was going through at the time and the fact that the men in these short stories are not really stable either, I mean, Stu in this short story, he's no hero. He's essentially just getting by and he has good intentions, but at the same time, his good intentions are not pure, if that makes sense. And here's where I come in. Nothing happened you need to know about until 1991. That's when Cagney was born. Best way I knew how to keep my boy from seeing his own mama shoot a man in their doorway was to pick a woman that wasn't like my mama. Got me one of them readers. A woman who didn't dye her hair or wear miniskirts. Someone who'd who'd rather stay home than go out. Didn't hurt that her name was Birdie. Now, you read that, and you wonder, huh, is he kind of sexist? The answer is yes. So, I'm not writing a morally upstanding character here. I'm writing someone who sees women as a necessity, but doesn't have much respect for them. Largely because of his experience with his mother but also because he is a product of his time. I mean, he, he's a little kid who grows up in the 70s, and, well, he can't maintain a proper relationship, so therefore he can't grow. It being 2022, and I'm living by myself in Okaloosa Island, Florida, you know what happened there. I mean, they say it on TV, 
People from broken homes and children of divorce have a hard time finding the right roots. You also, you're also not so bad at math that you can't figure out. Cagney is 30 years old by now, and he ain't living in Florida with his daddy. Don't even call me daddy. He calls me Stu, like everybody else. Calls his mama mother all proper-like. It gets a little bit more of a southern drawl here, you know. I've been criticized by some, no one who's actually read and enjoyed my work, by the way, of doing too much character study in my short stories and not getting to the scenes. I think that that's just my style, and I'm going to keep doing it. But I do cut to a scene within three pages of the short story, which is not bad. I'm outside cutting off the gas to the marquee inn since the stove in the kitchen needs repairs. Luckily, in Florida, we only need gas for cooking and not heating rooms. In September, we get a lot fewer tourists come through since school's in session and people gotta work, but the sun still beats down pretty bad. I tend to notice when a girl with pigtails without a bra on to protect the world from her pokies parks in a Saab 900 with the top down. Now, if that line didn't give you a description, I don't know what will. Shit, baby, I say. Your GPS must be messed up. Holiday Inn is across the street. Nah, I'm where I'm supposed to be, she says. Marquee Inn, right? You got the right place, I say. I'm just the maintenance man, but I can help carry in your bags. Not staying long. I'm supposed to be meeting someone. Oh, I nod. Got you a tender date. Something like that. Well, if you need anything, my name's Stu. Give me a holler if you got anything you'd like to brew in me. Jillian, she smiles. Jillian is actually a funny name to me. Because most people who have that name, they go by Jill. But I like the idea of having a character that was just full-on Jillian. I take my ass back to the kitchen to see about the stove. Twenty minutes later, I'm going out to turn the gas back on, and Jillian's still sitting on that sob, waiting on some dude who must not be eager enough. She looks younger than Cagney, but I'd be early to meet a girl like her. Hey, Stu, she says. Not a lot of traffic this time of day, I say. Reckon you got stood up? I'll give him ten more minutes. Shit, I get off in about an hour. Come sit in the lobby and I'll buy you a drink. When Jillian hops out of the car, she's got shorts a woman my age would wear fishnets to hide the cigarette burns on her thighs. Jillian don't even have a stretch mark on her. Whoever ain't here is missing out. What you got that's good, she asks. The bar has margaritas, I say. What kind of hotel is this where they have both a, a kitchen and a bar, and yet it, it's obviously not a Holiday Inn? It's not even a nice hotel. I'm imagining stuff that really wouldn't matter to Stu. Some people might say, you need to point out what's actually going on in this hotel, but... The audience isn't stupid, and you also have to consider there are things that a character is not going to care about, and they're not going to notice. So these are things that we need to take into consideration when we write. I mean, you can't have this guy who's essentially not a college-educated guy, barely finished high school, He's not going to care about the conditions of where he's working as long as he has a job and he's able to feed himself. My office is a room I converted by taking out the beds, ripping the carpets up, and putting up a framed photos of John Wayne. I always bring a change of clothes so I can shower before I go home. 
the housekeeper comes once a week for my work uniforms. Hope I don't run up your tab, Jillian says. This is my third drink. You had anything to eat, I ask. Tender boy was supposed to bring burgers. I think I can do better than that, I say. There's a huddle house down the road. Wow, you're actually taking care and taking me out. That asshole wanted to feed me, fuck me, and forget me. A couple of things I'll note here, for those of you who are truly horrified. Huddle House, instead of Waffle House, that's my, that's my dad to a T. The only time I've been to a Huddle House within the past 10 years was with my dad. Also, the feed me, fuck me, and forget me, that's from my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, so my father's father. He has the four F's. And ladies and gentlemen, my grandfather's perspective does not reflect my own, but he says he has four F's when it comes to women. Find them, feed them, fuck them, forget them. Granted, he has said much more offensive things. But, you know, I tend to remember shit that people say around me, but I love listening to my grandfather talk. After this, we have another transition, and it's pretty sudden. Jillian doesn't have much to pack when she moves in. My six-year-old double-wide palace possesses the spirits of the family that lived here before me. A couple split up after the husband lost his dock job, and the wife had to work at a souvenir shop in Destin to keep on the water in A.C., and money makes a mess of a relationship. It'd be easier to just shoot someone and collect the insurance. Instead, people suffer as they use broken buckets to catch the water filling the boat. Here's the thing about this paragraph. This is also inspired by reality and from my father. See, when my parents split up, my dad was already seeing another woman. And they moved in with my grandfather after a little while. So my father offered to pay bills and buy groceries. And my grandfather said, no, you take your money and you save it for a house and you can put it on my land. So my dad got a double wide trailer. And I remember very vividly the night when he got to move into said trailer because we still had dinner at my grandfather's. But the trailer was actually fairly nice. Now, nowadays they make way better trailers, but this was not uh, a trailer trash trailer. This was nice. It was basic, but nice. And when he and his second wife split up, he painted the walls and got some new furniture, what have you, but there was still kind of a ghost of the life that he used to have there. See, what a lot of people don't realize about men like my dad is that they're kind of running from pain. He may not agree with me. He's probably never going to listen to this, but, you know, when you have a marriage... Like my parents, you have a son, you kind of have the expectation that things are going to last, and when they don't, well, you're left with seeing your child on every other weekend, and you have to rebuild somehow. And, of course, he already had that plan in motion. So when that plan failed and he lost his stepdaughter and his actual daughter, my half-sister, he had to start again. So he ended up getting married a third time and took care of that woman's two sons, one of whom I thought was my actual brother until I was an adult, and it was revealed to me, no, he was not. That was a little painful. But... These places, when when people get divorced, they have memories in them, and you can kind of feel them when you're in there. And that's the kind of environment that 
Stewart is living in right now. Let's talk about Jillian for a second because I still kind of write stuff as if I'm an English major. I'm still an English major. I'm in grad school, but you know, when I was writing my early stuff in college, I was writing it as though I was creating a puzzle or a map for someone. And with Jillian, she shows up seemingly out of the blue. She has a reason for being at the Marquee Inn. But is that reason valid? Is she actually there to meet someone that she met off Tinder? As the author, I'm not going to tell you if she's there for that reason or not. But as the reader, you might speculate, well, this girl is showing up here assumedly to meet someone her own age, right? Why is she a grown woman in her 20s, dressed the way that she is? Why does she have her hair in pigtails? You know, she's driving this old convertible. A Saab 900 is probably not going to be running all that well because it's an old car. But she is quick to hitch up with this older man, too. So, wonder about her motivations, because as the author, that's what I have to consider. Even though she's not the protagonist, I still have to consider what she wants out of all this. And I'm figuring that out as I'm writing. That's part of the journey. So, let me read you this little scene here. And mind you, if you haven't pieced this together yet, I'm not done with the short story yet. I am nine pages in. And I've still got to get to that scene that I came up with in my head the other week. I'm stepping out of the shower and Jillian sits on the counter looking right at me when I'm drying off. She's not eyeing my dick or the gut I acquired in my 30s. Even when I'm drying off my hair and face, I feel her trying to get me to look back. What? I ask. You could have come in here with me if you are going to look at me like that. I was just thinking, Jillian says. Daddy, you ever miss your son? Who, Cagney, I ask? What other fucking son does he have? Like, when he was a little boy. You miss having a baby? Hell no, I say. Don't tell me you want kids all of a sudden. Jillian walks over to the stained glass window and outlines the hummingbird sipping from a flower with her chipped nail. Didn't I pay for her to get a manicure last week? I know better than to follow up on that question, so I wrap my towel around my waist so I can brush my teeth. Let me interject here. He mentions one stained glass window. Um, most trailers do not come with stained glass windows, which means that he installed this. So he's actually done some work to the trailer. Now, most people in the audience probably didn't figure that out, but uh, this is just a tidbit for me. Also, the chip nail and him paying for her to get a manicure. Well, you as the audience have to deduce, well, did she actually use that money for a manicure? What did she use the money for? So, you know, I'm, I'm leaving some, some breadcrumbs here for you to figure out that Jillian's not really all there. How many times you been married, Jillian asked. Just the one? More than once, I say. Why are you suddenly so interested in me? You never had another kid? I have you, don't I? I hold my brush under the faucet. If Jillian wants a kid, she's gonna need to get out before her eggs go rotten. I'm fucking over-carrying babies around. I live alone because I like being by myself, and I let Jillian stay here because I want to make sure she gets fred fed properly if I'm going to keep fucking her. I don't ask her to get a job. She can stay at home and watch Netflix all day. Like, I give a shit. But I figured we had an unspoken rule about asking too many questions. She's in her 20s and experienced a lot less than me. It's not like she's going to tell me something I ain't heard before. Daddy, Jillian says. What? I say through the toothpaste in my mouth. Do you love your son? I spit out the slobber and rinse out. 
do I love Cagney. I decided I must because it was better for him to figure when he'd want to see me than me badger him about coming down here. I cannot lie to myself and say I was good at being his father. The best I can do now is be his friend when he wants to call. This conversation is about to end with your ass hitting the gravel, I say. Do you love me, she asks, like I love you, daddy? The next paragraph does not address this. Instead, it begins, when I'm at work, I don't think about Jillian. I like cutting things off here and there, you know, leaving a little ambiguity. Now, since Cagney is inspired by me, I needed to really think about having a scene between Cagney and Stu, thinking about the dynamic between me and my father and what we would say to one another if we were in this situation. So we have a phone call here. Hello, Cagney answers. Hey, boy, I say. You ain't at work right now, are you? No, I'm not working at all. I got laid off last week. Well, shit, why didn't you tell me? Everything okay? I have severance for the next couple of weeks. I filed for unemployment already. Guess you have a little vacation time then. Why don't you come down here to Florida? You don't even have to stay with me. I can get you a room at the hotel and you can do whatever the fuck you want to. He comes to himself and taps something. It ain't the drive keeping him up in Georgia. Coming down here means seeing me. And it's like he looks in a mirror that ages him about 20 years. All right, Cagney says. I'll come down tomorrow. Oh, before you do, I say, I know you don't like meeting every woman I let live with me, but I have someone staying with me. You ain't got to meet her if you don't want to. We could have dinner or something. See, this conversation is not really a back and forth, you know. This is Stuart throwing darts at a wall and hoping that they stick and Cagney's not really receptive to it. He's not, you know, saying, hey, Daddy, how you doing, or anything like that. He's just laying out the facts, and there you have it. And sometimes the conversations with my dad and I on the phone are kind of like that. I, I honestly would like to talk to my dad more on the phone. I just don't know what the fuck to say. And so, you know, I was talking to my wife about how I love talking to my grandfather, but I don't always know what to say, so I don't really call him all that often, and I wish I did, but I don't know what to talk about. And the difference between my grandfather and my dad is my grandfather will talk. He will talk no matter what because you have ears and you're around him. My dad does not have that same skill. He's kind of more like me in that, he listens more, but we tend to talk about TV and movies and stuff. Um, you know, uh, now and then we talk about work, but honestly, um, he doesn't even really call me once a week right now. And uh, he's in a new relationship. He, I don't know how much of his business I should be telling people on the internet right now, but. Um, he's in a new relationship, which means he's not going to be talking to me as much. That's generally how it goes. Um, and I don't know the young lady who he is with. Um, I have seen her photos on Facebook and, um, my reaction is pretty much the same as it would be, um, you know, whatever he's had several girlfriends in the past few years and you know he's had three failed marriages so it's hard to really get excited about him being with someone new because from my perspective it's not gonna last and that's not a slight on my dad it's just how things are and I would love for him to prove me wrong you know he's proved me wrong about his lifespan because 
a few years ago, I told my grandfather, I didn't think my dad would live to see 50. His 50th birthday is coming in June. So, you know, there's that. Anyway, this is not a podcast where I'm working out my feelings about my parents, okay? But this is background and my my rationale behind writing this. So maybe this short story is me working through this. I don't know, but there's this other little paragraph here before Cagney shows up that is inspired by my actual friend, Josh, who I haven't really gotten to talk to much in the past couple of years, but um, he told me the story behind one of his tattoos. Every tattoo has a story, but he has a fender lighter on his arm. And he said that he got that tattoo as a, a tribute to a friend of his who was in the army, maybe, but... Uh, he gave his friend his fender lighter when he was going overseas, and he says, uh, I want you to bring this back to me, so, you know, you better fucking come back. And uh, he didn't come back, and Josh never got the lighter back. So he got the, the lighter tattooed on him, and I changed that story around here, as you will see. My friend Josh was a pilot in the Air Force and left for Iraq in 2003. Last time I saw him, he gave me his dad's old lighter with the star and wings emblem. The deal was that he'd get it back when he came home, but really, I'd always lent him my lighters and never gotten them back. I wouldn't say I quit smoking, because I still go out for ten minutes to light up sometimes. My old man passed from lung cancer, so it's a classy way to commit suicide, if anything else. Here I am almost twenty years later, still using Josh's lighter, He'd never come back for. And Cagney pulls up squinting at me because I always told him not to smoke or I'd kill him. I should have told him to never make friends with enlisted men and don't let women move in your place after only knowing them a few days. So, my dad doesn't smoke, by the way. I've never known him to smoke. He has been married to two smokers. He's dated smokers, but he does not smoke. He actually hates smoking. So I don't know how he stand. He could stand being married to smokers, especially his second wife, who was a chain smoker. So here we have a little scene between father and son. He looks like me with darker hair and a sharper nose, but I couldn't deny father and the boy. Despite being 30, someone might mistake him for a college kid here on the late spring break. Why the hell is he wearing jeans in this heat, though? Got any vacancies, Cagney asked. Shit, I say. We only got vacancies right now. It's Wednesday in October. Well, here. We do the man hug and let out groans like we hauled a refrigerator down several flights of stairs. I was thinking about ways to describe the sound that some men make when they hug each other. It's like... <sighs> like that. In typical Cagney fashion, he's got one leather suitcase that could fit a few days of outfits. I extend the invitation for him to live rent-free here for as long as he wants, and he'll probably go back home on Saturday. Uh, yeah, that's me. You could tell me that I could stay forever, and I'd stay a few days. You ate anything yet, I ask? No, Cagney says. I'll pick something up. Well, we got a kitchen here, I say. I'll have them fix you what you need. The room is fine. I, I don't want to cost you too much. The boy never wants to accept my generosity. As soon as I leave his room, I don't see him again until the next afternoon when he's walking out to his car. He pauses to look at me, so I stick my tongue out and keep working on the AC unit that went out last night. What do we really have to talk about right now? As I'm recording the podcast in about 10-minute increments, I pick up my phone and I check Twitter. And I was reminded of something that I wanted to talk about on the podcast. Now, I'm not going to read more of the short story because it's still in progress and I don't want to give too much away. But I thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed it. But I am going to talk about something else right now. And I... 
purposefully held this off until near the end of the podcast because you never know who's listening. But I am tired of people being creepy and annoying on Twitter. Now, the annoying side of Twitter is when you set your tweet so the only people who follow you will be able to respond. People who want to respond will retweet you and then comment on that. And that is obnoxious. Uh, If you don't follow me and you have something snarky to say to me, I'm going to block you. That's how that works. But I had an extended creepy experience with a gentleman who shall remain nameless. But if you're part of the hashtag writing community, you might know who I'm talking about. Because there was a big drama that happened in, I want to say, 2019. But I don't know. See, here's the thing. I am nice to some people on Twitter because they haven't given me a reason to not be nice to them, but they still creep me out. And this guy, he was nice, but he was creepy. And he was creepy because his personality was very forward. And, for example, he kept insisting that I read a book. And he was like, I will even buy you the book. you to read it i want i think it'll change your life i downloaded the book i read the first couple of pages and i didn't finish it and i told him this but he would read my stuff and he would say you need to fix your formatting no one's going to take you seriously if you don't format it he was talking to me as if he was already a published author he didn't have one goddamn word published meanwhile i'm not I'm not going to sit here and say that I know my shit, but I was published at the time. I have poetry published in different online journals, and I established some clout as a self-published poet on digital verse. So it's not like I was a virgin to the world of publication, And this guy was trying to give me critique on stuff that I had already published, which is uh, uh, obnoxious. But for some reason, I was polite to him and I, you know, I thanked him for his critique and I moved on. But dear God, so he would just hark on, you know, he would DM me and I don't, I don't want you to DM me and send me long paragraphs of shit when you don't even know me. And there was a scandal because he and this young lady, um, she had a thing for guys with beards and she would flirt with you, whatever. I never really paid her much attention. But like with this guy, I was nice to her. But they were having an affair via Twitter, and uh, she pissed him off. So he contacted her husband and essentially ruined her life. Um, And she had a freakout on Twitter, and a bunch of people turned against him. Someone made a fake account about him. He lashed out against her, and a bunch of white knights were defending her. And quite frankly, I don't fall on either side of the goddamn fence because I don't like either one of them. And I was, you know, familiar enough with her that I reached out to her and I said, hey, are you okay? And what's your side of the story? Because, you know, this guy has his own. And she's like, you already know. And she lashed out at me. And I didn't already know. And then he gave me his side of the story. And it seemed like both of them were pieces of shit. But, anyway, uh, after a while I got tired of him and he kept trying to indoctrinate me in stuff that I wasn't comfortable with and he was also reaching out to people that I was actual friends with, I didn't like that either. So, he made a joke about my wife 
on Twitter, which is not cool. It doesn't matter if you're my friend or not. And I blocked him. And, of course, he didn't like that. He blocked me back. But people on Twitter can be fucking creepy. And I'm here to tell you, you cannot give them the time of day. There was another guy not that long ago who would reply to all my fucking tweets. I didn't like him, but I was polite to him. And uh, that backfired because he turned out to be one of those people who would do that to a lot of people. He would just reply random shit for engagement. And then he unfollowed me because he's one of those guys who likes to artificially bump up his follower count. You know, these people who aren't famous, but they try to make it seem like a lot of people want to follow them. Well, he's one of those people, and I blocked him. Fuck him. But, yeah, I don't have as much tolerance for that anymore, and people wonder why I block so many people, and it's because of shit like that. People are fucking creepy, or they're obnoxious, or they're her- they're going to harass you, you know? So just be mindful of that, people. Especially once you hit that 10K follower count. Literally the day I hit 10K, I had some crazy person on Twitter tweeting, tweeting and retweeting me and making fun of me. I had no idea who they were. And they said, why are you even on Twitter if you don't want to tweet more than once an hour? which is a rule that I have tried to keep to an extent since I started this Twitter account in 2019, is I don't want to fill shit up with spam, but, you know, at the same time you have to tweet somewhat consistently to keep engagement. It's a whole thing of bullshit because the people who tweet over and over and over again within the same hour, they're actually hurting themselves, and you'll notice when you look at their timelines, they have no engagement Anyway, so I want you folks to have a great week. I know I can't say happy weekend, but I can say happy reading. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.